Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is a well-known game composer who has composed for games like Mass Effect, 007 Bloodstone, Alice in Wonderland, and the recent Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I'd like to welcome Richard Jakes. How you doing? Hey, Reese, Good to be with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this because big fan of your music. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this chat. So I thought I'd start off with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, of course since that is uh, your most recent work, which is a brilliant soundtrack, by the way. I think it's actually some of your best work. Oh, thank uh, you very much. Uh, so in terms of the, the musical palette for it, how did you come up with that? Um, well, right from the beginning, uh, myself and Steve Schakowsky, who's the senior audio director at Eidos Montreal, uh, the developers of the game, we, we both wanted to create a sort of huge epic Inter intergalactic sounding soundtrack, um, if you will. So I chose to have a full symphony orchestra with choir for some uh, specific sections of the game. And uh, also there are some synth elements as well. So some analog synthesizers and some electronic percussion and things like that. So those elements were going to combine to, to form my palette for the the game and the soundtrack in, in terms of the the elements um, and then it was down to how I was going to utilize those those forces um, and how I was going to, to score the game by using those kind of elements right so was there much direction in terms of um, from the audio director What's his name? Steve Shukowski? Um, Steve, Steve Shukowski is, is yeah, the senior Kowski. audio director. Yeah. Steve Shukowski, yeah. And, um, yeah, from the beginning, we, we knew that we wanted to create a sort of a classic um, epic Marvel experience that you would that you would expect from from a Guardians game. Um, you know, we wanted the player to feel empowered when they're doing well in combat to get you know the heroic theme coming through, um, like you would in a in an MCU film. Um, so it was important for us to try and achieve that with the score. You know, we didn't just want to have sort of arbitrary background music. Um, we wanted the score to play a really big part in the game, um, whether it's was to do with um, themes we're using for characters or certain locations that the, the player may visit. Um, the use of themes is a really important part of, of the Guardian's uh, soundtrack. Um, so right from the beginning, I composed the what we call the hero theme, which is the Guardian's main theme, mm. which does play throughout the score, um, sometimes subtly, sometimes in more poignant moments, sometimes in heroic sections or combat. Um, and that sort of formed the backbone of of the score um, and then we used a couple of other main themes for some of the characters that you might come across some of the villains especially which i won't give away any spoilers for those who haven't played it yet um, <laughs> but um that was our sort of key um idea of how the score would unfold and then there are of course um some sort of dramatic underscore sections um and as i said there are some sort of point more poignant moments um as well in the score so those were our kind of building blocks so in terms of the hero theme, how long did that take you to compose? The da, 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 da. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. You're the first person that's done that to me since then. I'm, I'm mightily impressed. So uh, thank you for that, Reese. Um, right. it's, it's good good to know it's memorable. Um, right from the beginning, uh, that was the first piece of music I wrote, actually, way back in 2017. When oh, wow, quite a while ago. Yeah, uh, quite a while ago now. Um, and that's when Artis Montreal contacted me um, 
for the game and um they were they were evaluating some composers work they'd heard some of my music on i think um, specifically mass effect and 007 bloodstone and thought i'd be a good sort of uh, fit for the project um so there was a sort of round of, of demos uh with some other composers and i wrote the hero theme then uh it took about probably a couple of hours, something like that, two or three hours. Um, I, I, when I'm composing themes like that, I tend to do it away from my studio. Um, I know every composer has their own sort of tricks and their own way of doing things. I, I find sometimes being in the studio and having all the technology around you can be um, distracting. Um, so I was kind of, I often just go for long walks or, um, you know, depending on what I'm doing, I always think about it in my head first and it comes to me and then it sort of starts to form and then I sort of scribble it down on a piece of paper or sing it into my phone or something and then I go into my studio and, and start orchestrating it and arranging it in, in full um, orchestral version um, so that was the first thing I wrote um, yeah it probably took about uh, you know from beginning to end maybe three or four hours something like that and I orchestrated it out uh, fully to give a sort of one minute 20 second uh, version of that um, and that actually was completely unchanged and is in the game right now so um, yeah that's a, that's a, a really sort of satisfying um part of the process where you, you write a theme and um steve at idas montreal said that that was why they chose me because that theme just combined all the elements that you would find in the guardians you know it's got it's it doesn't take itself too seriously but it's got a sense of adventure um it's exciting um and i wanted to uh, pack all those things into this theme you know it's fun all these kind of elements and um that was what i was thinking about when i was creating that main theme did you write it and think, yes, I've nailed it? <laughs> um, <you wrote> it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I guess so. I mean, everyone has their own sort of opinions on how a theme should go, um, especially for, for Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And this was my take on it, if you like, my, my approach. Um, when I had finished it, I thought that's how i see it yeah that's that's my um that's my take on it i see this as a as a big sort of classic superhero theme um which suited the the guardians very well um uh and and you would expect to hear in a in a in a marvel game or film uh so i just yeah i, I was happy with it and i thought i'd sort of um done 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 my best and that's that's all we can do but i thought it had i thought it had legs as they say you know you could reuse that theme um throughout the game in in different disguises and that's exactly what we ended up doing so i knew it had the longevity that it needed so yeah i was um you know satisfied when i when i finished doing it so when you were writing other pieces were you writing them in the way where you could seamlessly incorporate that theme or would you compose something and then be like, ah, oh, I'll incorporate the hero theme here? Um, I would I would think about it before I started a piece of music. So there were certain sections that we knew we wanted the player to feel empowered and that sense of um, superheroism. So before I would start something like that, I would think, okay, I'm going to incorporate the main theme here in a certain way. Um, and also in some of the cinematic sequences, if there's a specific reference to... Uh, the Guardians being together, I, I would think to myself, all right, I'm going to incorporate the theme here, but in a slightly different way, um, maybe a slightly um, 
softer way, for example, or a slower way. Um, so I would consciously think about that before starting another piece of music. I wouldn't sort of write and you know compose another track and then think, oh, I need to put the theme in here. It would be a conscious decision based on the sort of storytelling, um, and that's exactly how I approached it with other themes as well. You know, how is the narrative panning out? What's the player doing at this point in the story? Um, where do we need to emphasize thematic moments for characters or for planets you might explore, things like that. So it, it's more about the storytelling and using the themes to to aid the narrative. Right. And so with the end credits sequence, with the guitars and the drums, was that, yeah. how far in the process was that? Was that towards the end or was that something you just thought out of, of, of a whim and just like, oh, you know what, I'll just try this version with the guitars and well, that's a, uh, that was actually written at the same time as the main theme back in 2017. Oh, and wow. The, the reason for that is um, I knew at the time that our game in our Guardians universe would feature licensed music from the 80s. Hmm. Um, so as part of my demoing process, when I'd written the main theme, I just thought, let's do an 80s version with guitars. You know, what can go wrong? Um, <laughs> just Just to sort of... Uh, emphasize the fun element and it was getting towards um i guess it was probably about may or something of this year um and myself and steve the order director we were discussing you know what should we do for the credits and he showed me the sequence and it's actually it was his decision to to use that theme so i then went and got it recorded with the orchestra and my guitarist um you know we wanted to give the player a reward and so it, that's why it combines um, guitars and drums because they feature a lot in the licensed music mm. and also in the in the original Star Lord band tracks uh, in the game. So it was kind of a perfect combination of having the main theme presented in a really fun and different way, but incorporating those elements uh, from the other parts of the music in the game. So it was kind of a bit of a sort of eighties mashup, if you like. Did you have much involvement in the licensing music and the the Star Lord music, or was that kind no? Of so um, handled by the, other people. Yeah, so the Star-Lord band tracks were all composed by Steve Strakowski, the audio director of the game, yeah. and his writing partner, Johan Boudreau. Um, they wrote and recorded and performed and created an entire rock album within the game. So a 10-track hard rock album just, just for the game um, itself, which is absolutely amazing to, you know, to see the level of detail they went to because Star-Lord in our universe is actually Peter Quill's favourite band, hence the the um, the reason for creating this whole album. That's why he has it on the back of his jean jacket. And um, there's this whole backstory that they went into and, and Marvel absolutely loved the idea. So, you know, a whole 10-track um, hard rock album within the game. And then the licensing uh, side of things, so there's 31 licensed tracks from the 80s um, across all genres. Um, that was coordinated and curated by Steve and the actual licensing was done by Randy Eckhart uh, of Eckhart Consulting who also worked on a lot of, orig of the original Guitar Hero games so um, he's very adept with dealing with record labels and band managers and things like that so it all kind of came together in a, in a really organic way and you know, with regards to the licensed music, I mean, how it integrates with the score, we actually took um, a, a lot of time and care to make sure 
that there's a seamless transition between the two because you know we didn't want it to be a sort of needle drop moment where it's just something completely different and it could sound a bit um disjointed for the player um so actually some of the score um whether it comes out of a piece of licensed music or whether the score precedes a piece of licensed music we've been careful to match the same kind of key and tempo as the licensed track so that there's a very smooth integration and did that stay relatively the same throughout so you kind of knew where the licensed music was going to go so you could compose around it or because you know how game development works right stuff changes yeah. all the time so yeah <laughs> so you might compose something and be like oh no 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 this this is going to be licensed music now so was it was it quite seamless in how it was done or is it constant changing all it was, the way through? It was, it was fairly seamless um as in we knew where a piece of licensed music would go in the game. It, it wasn't a question of, oh, one minute we, go, we think we're going to want score there, or one minute we're going to want a licensed track. But the one thing that did change quite a lot is which licensed track was actually in a specific area. So one oh, minute right. it was one track, and then um, for, for both artistic reasons um, and maybe some licensing reasons, that track would now be a different track. So I would actually have to change the key of the piece of music I'd written. The, the actual music composition was fine and that remained in place. But, you know, one minute we had a, um, a rock track in E and then we had a pop track in A or something like that. So I'd have to change the key of my score. Um, luckily, this was done prior to recording, so it, was, it wasn't too much of a problem. But, but you're right, those things do um, kind of change. It's a bit of a fluid situation, so you have to be uh, flexible in your approach and and you know we were we were keen to make that those transitions work really well so it was, it was worth the extra work just to sort of make uh, make them really gel with one another when you do a whole key change does it is it just as simple as just doing a whole key change to the piece that you've already written or have you got to change certain elements <laughs> it depends sometimes it sometimes it can be as simple as that if it's a small key change but if it's quite a large one i have to then look at the orchestration of um, the range of the instruments, you know, so that we're not going outside of them and make make the music unplayable, and also where the where the individual instruments sit comfortably, where they sound natural, rather than taking them to the extremities in the upper or lower register. So it was really important that once I, I mean, in my in my software, I can you know press a button and almost almost as simple as that. But you can you can change the key quite easily. But then I have to go through every single instrument and make sure it's playable, make sure it's sounding right, and make sure the textures are correct. Um, and things like that. So yeah, it's not a, it's not a five minute job. It's probably a couple of hours um, to to get that done and to make it work correctly. Because would the orchestra be later on in the process? So would kind of all the tracks that you're implementing, right? That would just be kind of MIDI or demo exactly. tracks. Yeah, yeah. So once it's actually set in stone, I mean, it wouldn't be a simple matter of just be like, hey, can we just get the orchestra again and <laughs> record that <laughs> no. piece? <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, with, with so much music to record for this game, we um, we knew it was going to be a long session at the studio. So we had to lock those keys. And, you know, I had to make sure that the 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 licensed music was, was absolutely final and wasn't going to change because we were, you know, we had to lock that off and then go to the studio and record. Um, and we recorded the orchestra back in um, June of this year. Um, so, yeah, we do have to make those decisions in a relatively decent amount of time because of course scoring with an orchestra has you know huge amount of work to do when i finished um preparing the music in, and i like you said i'm writing in in midi in effect with all my sample libraries um, and then I, I have a whole team of people that then um translate that into the uh, the printed music that the orchestra work from um in sibelius so uh yeah there's quite a quite a 
big chunk of work that we had going almost round the clock from March right through until the end of June when we recorded. And I had a team of 12 people, which is the the biggest I've had on the project just because of the uh, the magnitude of, of this particular game. Wow. So you were just working on this project the whole time? Because you know how sometimes musicians are all over the place in terms of you could be co- composing for four different games at the same time. But with this, yeah. were you focused solely on this? Yeah, basically. I mean, I started the main bulk of the composition. Um, we did uh, one. We did a portion of one chapter um, for our vertical slice, which is where we the whole game team takes a takes a look at the, the sort of quality. Um, this was back in September of 2018, um, and then I've been full time on the project. And when I say full time, I mean literally pretty much every day, very very long days uh, since. February 2019 it was mm. so yeah uh, and I wasn't working on anything else there was no time that you know over five hours of score is a uh, is a huge amount of music to write oh, yeah. so uh, it is. so uh, yeah and with things changing and moving and COVID and all these curveballs yes. that constantly kept coming my way so um, yeah it took up <laughs> took up that time curveballs um so did you take any influence from the the Marvel films or the Guardians of the Galaxy films themselves? Um, no, not at all. I mean, I'm a big fan of the MCU and I've, I've watched them all and I know a lot of the music um, and I know some of the, the Guardians music. Um, but this was basically Eidos Montreal's version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you know, not not the MCU, not the comics. They kind of took reference and inspiration from from all things Guardians um, that have been around over the years. Um, I I was conscious that there was no themes that we needed to include uh, because, you know, if let's say one of the Avengers suddenly pops up, um, which they don't, um, then we might have to, um, you know, look at using the Avengers theme. But uh, this is a brand new original story and therefore brand new original themes for, for the Guardians and for some of the other characters. I wonder if they'll take your hero theme and incorporate it into the films now. Wouldn't that be cool? We'll see. That would be incredibly cool. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing to have on the resume, right? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, because you've done television and, and a few films. Um, would you want to get back into that arena? Or are you more yeah, focused definitely. on games? I mean, um, it depends on the um, the project, really. I mean, I'm drawn to I'm drawn to projects with a really good, strong story. Um, you know, a lot of composers, I'm, I'm sure, would agree that that music is part of the storytelling process, um, and that's what I loved about this game. That I think the story is absolutely superb, and uh, they've done an absolutely brilliant job on it. So that's why it's been such a pleasurable experience for me. Um, sure, give me an MCU, I'm I'm ready. So bring it on. All right, there we go. We'll have to put the word out for you then. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier how sometimes you compose not in the studio. You don't compose in the studio. Is that yep. partly because sometimes because you have access to so much equipment and so many ways of composing that uh, it can become quite convoluted or complicated as a result and you um, want to simplify it? I think there's some element of that. I can't really put my finger on why I do it that way, but but in, in my own words, I would say that um, having too much kit around you can be distracting or you, you know, sitting in front of a screen in front of your DAW, you know, you might, you know, it's as if you're you have to fill in these these blocks on the screen and you have to fill them in now, kind of thing. It, it, 
I don't find that when you know when you're doing a main theme, I don't find that approach works for me. Um, I could probably just sit at a piano without any equipment and do it that way, but I find doing it in my head and sort of working out the shape because it's it's often that I have the bare bones of it there, but it needs a slight tweak to get the shape. So quite often, once once I've got the melody there in my head, I would then I, I often write. Um, write it out in, in a sort of very basic form of shorthand just onto a scrap of paper. And then I might change the odd note or the odd rhythm here and there and make sure it has a good shape to it. And then then I'll put it into my sequencer and then I can tweak it further if I want. But usually that's the only two sort of steps I take really. Um, yeah, I just find it, I don't know, when you're in the studio, the you know, you can you can sort of feel the the pressure and the you know the sheer amount of music you have to write, and and the main theme has to be, you know, it has to be amazing and important and contain all the elements that a good theme should have. Longevity, as I said, I'm I'm really keen on that, um, and I just find, you know, walking around with it going around in my head without any distractions, without the phone ringing or having to reply to emails, those kind of things, I find that very. Uh, kind of liberating I guess is probably the right word um and I know some other composers do it that way as well it depends on you know some people start from an improvisation point of view and that, that's how they come to their themes it it sort of depends on the individual really and what's the best thing that works for them right because you know how there's obviously always new plugins coming out technology is constantly evolving right so yeah. do you always get tempted to get the next plugin and and stuff like that or are you able to be content with the gear that you have um, I, I would say at the beginning of a project, I would maybe look at, um, some new plugins and things like that. Um, but once I've set on a course for that project and I've sort of, I mean, it's mainly on the sort of more synths and percussion and those kind of things that I would probably change every project or update some new stuff. I mean, there's, you know, how many orchestral libraries can one have? And, you know, I've got most pretty much all, pretty much all of them. And, you know, I still find yeah, sometimes you can just get so deep in that that you take away from the from the actual music and the composition. Well, that's right. Um, yeah. The one things I don't use is any sort of phrase based orchestral libraries. That that's not that's not for me. That's uh, um, I think um, you know those things are good for for people on a really tight deadline. But if I know something's going to be played by live orchestra, I've got to have all the notes in there. So um, I prefer to do it do it by hand if you like um, do it manually. Um, but yeah, I mean. It, it, it's quite interesting. There was one quite interesting thing on this project talking about plugins that um, Heaviosity, uh, the plugin manufacturer who I know, I know the guys there really well. They make some excellent stuff. And I had a had a Zoom with them probably two years ago now. And just to give, they wanted my input on um, what is, what's now become um, Damage 2. And I said I wanted, you know, a bit more organic sounding, uh, single hits and things like that. And the reason I did that is because there's one area of the game where I specifically wanted to use that. And of course they did an incredible job on that. And I was able to use that in this exact level of the game. So it was almost like I'd ordered that specifically for, for chapter 11 in the game. So that that's a really nice, nice thing to do when you can actually, when you're invited to, to give some sort of feedback to, to developers saying what you would want from a product. I think it helps them um, maybe I use things in a way they hadn't thought, or maybe I want some sounds that they hadn't thought of. So it's really nice to um, have that sort of collaborative approach. Because how do you find the mixing process? 
because I've found when I've mixed music that it's quite easy to get and fall down the rabbit hole in terms of there's so many different ways to mix something, right? And yeah. particularly if you're using a, a plethora of plugins, um, it's very easy to do. So what's your way of avoiding that and staying focused? Um, well, to be honest, I only really mix my demos. So if it's a huge orchestra recording, I get um, a very experienced mixing engineer. So uh, Jake Jackson from Air Studios mixed uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack here in my studio. It's It was an enormous mix, and he said it was the longest mix session he's ever done. Um, we were mixing in Pro Tools and in 7.1 surround. Um, wow. So all the music's in 7.1, and there's also stems in 7.1, so there's multiple 7.1 stems. So, yeah, oh it's a, it was a, a huge... I think there's eight 7.1 stems and a master 7.1 stem. So it's wow. it's a huge um, it's a huge mix. Um, we decided to do it pretty much all in the box um, within, within Pro Tools itself, and we were using... I mean, our approach was not to go too crazy because like if you've got some of the best musician in in the world in one of the best studios in the world and and the music's well written there shouldn't be any need to to play around with it too much um so we were using some of the um cinematic rooms plugins from liquid sonics and some of the symphony 3d plugins just to get our surround reverbs because there's there's not a huge amount of stuff out there at the moment for for that that configuration that although there's more coming onto the market um so yeah there was i think i can't remember how many tracks we were running but it was over 500 it was a huge mix um, <laughs> it is a huge mix oh yeah my with gosh. all the bu busing and so, things like that and choir and <laughs> <laughs> so were you sitting in with him while he was mixing yeah. it yeah yeah and yeah, giving we were... him pat on the shoulder and saying sorry I did this yeah <laughs> no i mean he's jake's so good and, and experienced and, and I, I love his approach because you know, some people, like you're saying about the rabbit hole, I mean, I, I could probably do that myself and just keep putting plugins on and not really hearing much difference, things like that. But his, his approach is like, you know, cleaning up anything that has any issues, whether it's noise or pitch or anything like that, but then mainly just making it sound good. And um, he, he really made it sound excellent. And I, I wasn't sort of looking over his shoulder at all. I would let him get on with it and then I'll come and check it at the end of each day and make a few minor adjustments, just balance adjustments really. But um he made it sound huge and you know, I think I think he did a great job. And you know, dealing with that many elements and you know, and then a choir, which we double tracked, and then a load of electronics and then, you know, things keep adding on top was was quite a challenge for him, I think. But um no, I'm absolutely delighted with the results. Oh yeah. It sounds brilliant. It sounds Thank brilliant. You. On headphones and in speakers, which is, which is um, yeah, I've had to good. check it. I mean, when we were when we were sort of finalising the mixes, and not only for the game but for the soundtrack, I remember I was literally checking it on everything. I was checking it on my headphones on the train on the way home, then a little tiny Bluetooth speaker in my kitchen, then the big speakers in the studio, the small speakers in the studio, my TV, um, just to see how it translates. And um, yeah, I think we got it right. And then. Um, it was mastered by Simon Gibson at Abbey Road, uh, the soundtrack was. So um, he did an amazing job on the actual uh, the, the, the soundtrack masters as well. So it's great working with Simon. Hmm. So I wanted to ask you about 007 Bloodstone. Yep. Because a lot of uh, James Bond games, usually they take the theme, the 007 theme, and it basically just gets remixed to death for the game now you didn't really do that right so i mean you kind of did an original score but you kept it kind of in the style 
Um, was that always the approach? Yes. Now, I don't know the exact reason behind it, but as, as far as I have been told, um, the reason that we, we basically couldn't use the James Bond theme by Monty Norman throughout the score is because Bloodstone is an original story. It's not taken from a film. So I'm pretty sure it's something to do with the license. We did use the oh. James Bond theme um, at the, I believe on the credits where it plays in its entirety and yeah. we recorded that, but that's the only time. So I was tasked with um, having to create a, a permit sort of almost familiar sounding score without ever using that theme, which was quite a challenge um but it had to it had to um had to sound like it comes from the same sound world and i think for myself as a composer i mean i i studied a lot of jazz when i was um when i was at music college and university and i'm originally a trombone player so i know i know that that world very 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 well so it didn't come you know it wasn't it wasn't a a challenge to me to to create that score but it was kind of an interesting um sort of feature that we you know we never we never used it we never went there um and like you said some some game scores they would just plaster it over every single thing and oh, remix yeah. it and, and and kind of do it to death a bit and i think that that ruins the surprise of when it does come in in a bond movie um but yeah we we wrote um i think i wrote the yeah there's again one quite big theme in that and then there's there's other themes as well but um it was a big uh big full-on action score with with a lot of the musicians that play on the movies so again a, a great um great privilege to be able to work on a franchise as big as 007 because what sometimes i try to put myself in the position of the composer i'm like okay what would i do if i was in the position so in the case with 007 i would think and if you didn't do this then great good on you um but i would write the use the original theme and then kind of tweak it so you can remove it if that makes sense yeah that did you ever approach sense. it in that way or was it just a completely original palette and then maybe go and add in like the the iconic stabs like the brass stabs and things like that yeah i mean it was a com completely original approach because i knew we couldn't use the theme in that specific way um we were only going to use it once at the end of the game so i didn't even think about starting with that and sort of reworking it and and um you know like you said about the approach you you, you might take and, and others might take if they if they were using the theme um so i just started with an original um palette and um yeah came up you know i knew it had to be very brassy that was that's part of the sound it you know bond is a combination of sort of jazz and symphonic influence so melded together you get you get a lot of the brass playing a lot of the sort of slightly more jazzy chords and then you get the strings adding the action element and the percussion etc um and i wanted to, to keep that keep those elements sort of because they, they they sort of make up that sound and I wanted to keep those elements in there but in terms of actually the writing it was yeah just just completely original starting from scratch like um like I would do any other project and and going back to themes that that theme was actually written on the top deck of a London bus what really yeah, that's when I, that's where I came up with that theme so what you were just sitting there and it, that melody came to your head yep and I so wrote what, it down in. Oh, okay. And then do you do like record like a melody into your I, phone? I or? actually wrote it down on the back of an envelope I had in my bag and immediately it's eight bars long or something that the main body of that theme, I just scribbled it down. And then um, when I got back home, 
just recorded it basically into my sequencer so I didn't forget it. And yeah, it's, that's 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 how I did it. Honest truth. So when you say you wrote it down, did you just write? Did you write the notes, or did you? Yeah, I often yeah. write um, the I write the rhythm and then the note names and scribble a few bar lines in, and that's basically how I do it. That's how I've always done it. I I don't often have manuscript to hand. It's just my own kind of form of shorthand. That's so cool that you do it that way. Because like a lot of music, a lot of musicians these days would probably just get out their phone and then maybe hum some melody in their phone. Yeah, I quite looking at something visual as well. I find that helps um, shape the melody. Um, that's why I still. I mean, I occasionally I record something to my phone if I'm um, in a rush or something. But I find having something visual in front of me is a really good representation. Um, because I can sort of start to see the shape, even though it's not notated in sort of manuscript form, if you like, it's still rough, but I can see the rhythmic um, elements and I often use arrows. It sounds it sounds crazy, but I sort of use <laughs> arrows up and down and it's, I, I don't know why I do it like that. I've never even really thought about it that much, but it, it, it absolutely works for me. Oh, well, it doesn't matter as long as it works, right? <laughs> yeah, Everybody has their own yeah. methods. Yeah. Quite, quite. There's a method to your madness. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so did you uh, get any direction in terms of the 007 uh, soundtrack? Like say if you compose something and then the audio director might be like, no, 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 that's not james bond enough make it more james bondy <laughs> um no not really i think um when i was hired for the project i was um again there was a demoing process for that and i wrote two original tracks um an action track and a sort of more pensive exploration type stealthy track and then i also although they the games developer didn't ask for it i re-recorded the james bond theme because i'm pretty sure that would feature somewhere and then i hired all the musicians that play on the movies and recorded that at abbey road and then that was my my pitch for the uh, the game and then when i was hired i believed that um the uh, the people at eon productions checked that you know i wasn't going to do something crazy and they gave the thumbs up um yeah. and then it was left up to me and i didn't have any cues rejected at all it was just straight straight out of the gate so that was a great experience i'm surprised that you still have to do demos given your resume like i'm, I'm surprised that you'd still have to people I, I would think that people would just hire you based on your name at this point they might uh, be like, maybe oh, i think yeah, yeah, we'll just hire him. <laughs> I think it, it it often it's if I'm working with a new client and and uh, having a new collaboration that tends to be where it is. Where if it was someone I've worked with before, um, then there probably wouldn't be a demoing process. But certainly with with a new um, client and a new relationship with an audio director, um, I don't particularly mind doing it. And a, a lot of the time there'll be f at least fifteen composers on a pitch for mm. for a big big um sort of triple a title so um you know I, I think it's i think it's part of the process to show what your you know you you as a composer your individual take on a on a brief or a project might be and you know to have something to listen to is is sort of often easier to make the decision by the audio director rather than just resume um and i like you know i like the fact that my hopefully that my music speaks for itself and that the way i sort of present it and the way i you know, put my own um, emphasis in in whatever the the brief or the project may be. So, um, 
Yeah, it, it sort of swings and roundabouts, really. I think it's probably 50% of the time I do, and the other I, the other 50% I don't have to. So do what's, do whatever's needed. Yeah. Well, you seem to be a, a master of melody. You're very, very good at it. I, I mean, I'm, a lot of composers these days, I feel they might compose something, but it's it sometimes feels like music's just there for the sake of being there, and it's just there to kind of stir a bit of an emotion. But it doesn't really have a memorable melody, but that's not the case with you. Do you go out of your way specifically to make sure of that, or is that just something that comes naturally to you, the whole melodical um, process? I think, it, I mean, it does come does come very naturally to me. Um, I don't I don't particularly know why. Um, I mean, I started as a, you know, started learning the piano when I was five years old and then trombone when I was seven, and I guess playing trombone in as a solo instrument and in an orchestra um you know when you're playing in an orchestra you you don't often get melodies on trombone but you do get a lot of the the meaty brass stuff mm. um and especially some of the big symphonies and the big russian composers etc um but then as a trombone soloist it, it's a lot you know mostly melody um so that's possibly where i get it from um and also playing piano as well and studying jazz um i don't think i I don't think I do it consciously. I mean, there's some, there's some parts in both both Guardians and 007 Bloodstone that don't require melody. I'm not saying I every piece of music I write has a melody in it, um, because that would kind of be a bit too much, I think. But there's always melodic threads in there, even if it's presented as a piece of underscore, um, and even if they're not that obvious. I like to have a point to the to the music rather than it just being sort of a bit static. Um, I think, you know, I'm not one of these composers that would just do a sort of what I would call a musical sound design score. That's not really something that, that appeals to me, to be to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think that melody is important still. It's still a very valid um, tool to have in a composer's toolbox to I be agree. able to pull out at the right moment. You know, again, not, not plastered all over a whole score, but I do enjoy melodic writing that's for sure but then also when there's a piece of underscore or some or, or something just to set a, a dark tone or something like that like I, you know i love counterpoint as well there's a lot of that in my writing um but it's you know depending it's really whatever is appropriate for the situation that you're scoring i think is probably the best way to put it yeah fair enough now was the plan always to become a video game composer because a lot of composers I talk to, they kind of fall into it. It's not something they intend, or when they started out, it wasn't even really a thing. Um, I mean, how did you end up at Sega, for example? Um, a bit by accident, really. So we're going back <laughs> to uh, we're going back to the early to mid nineties, and I was just finishing up at. Um, university doing my music degree and by chance i mean i'd always been playing games since i was a kid anyway and during my teenage years and also during my university degree i was hanging out in the studio all the time when i probably should have been writing essays about music history um <laughs> but that was my that was where i could naturally be found is in the studio writing it was mostly sort of electronic music at the time um and you know as i said being a gamer and, and in those days when like you said it, it's basically nintendo and sega and some of the other japanese companies like namco and those kind of people were the at the at the pinnacle of the games industry there wasn't a huge amount happening 
in Europe or the US. Um, there was a little bit, and especially on PC, but back in those days, it was the console kings that were that were reigning. Um, and I wrongly assumed that a lot of it or, or all of it was done in Japan because of, you know, we're talking cartridges here. This is before CD-ROM um, or disc-based media. We're talking cartridges. And I thought, well, I don't know how to get my music onto a cartridge. And I just assumed a lot of the, the music was done in Japan. Um, but then, you know, that, that big explosion in the mid-90s for consoles and PC gaming, um, you know, that was just so huge. And in the last couple of months of my degree, I actually spotted an advert in a music um, uh, magazine for an in-house composer at Sega in London. So I applied for the job and sent some demos in and there's about 300 applicants, something like that. And then it went through two rounds of demoing. And then I got the job and moved to London. And the day after I finished my degree and started on the following Monday, it was that quick. What? That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, so it was amazing. Kind of just fell into place. Yeah, I mean, it really did. I was I was still in the middle of doing my final exams, and I think I got the job in in the May of uh, was it ninety four? Going back, um, and I was still doing my final recitals. And I said to Sega, um, "Can I just you know complete my degree because there's only six weeks to go?" And they said, "Yeah, sure, no problem." So literally, I got my results from university on on a Friday, moved to London on the Saturday and started Sega on the Monday. And it was that quick. And I spent nearly eight really good years there working on a lot of their big IPs and then uh, went freelance after that. And the rest is history, as they say. But you're right, it was kind of a bit by accident. And um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't change it, that's for sure. Because mm. I would think at university, they would teach you music more from a, a film or a traditional music in terms of like pop music approach. I mean, because video game music was still relatively unheard of. And it it's, yeah. it's requires a different level of composing than, say, film or television or um, traditional music, right? So did that mean that you kind of had to flip on your head a little bit in terms of how you approached music when you first um, ended up at Sega? Um, not really, because, I mean, my, my degree was a straight, classical music degree so um although there was a small element of composition it was more modern classical composition which is something right. that I, has never particularly interested me um so i was always writing let's call it media music um since i was a teenager you know i was always thinking about music to picture music to screen music to games whatever whatever it was i was thinking with that in mind um so the composition element of my degree, I didn't really need any of that um, for my career now. It was all about, I suppose, what I'd been listening to, what influenced me in my teenage years. You know, we all have this kind of these formative years when we're listening to loads of kind of crazy different kinds of music. I mean, I was I was playing Stravinsky in the orchestra one minute and then I was listening to um, Prodigy and Public Enemy outside of that. I mean, it's a really kind of crazy mix. Um, but that that sort of I think had a, had an influence on my my style and, and my career, um, and my degree was useful for uh, working with ensembles. I would often write pieces of music just for myself, and then I was able to record them with the you know the university orchestra and the brass band and the jazz band. So that was really good. That wasn't necessarily part of my course, but it's just something I was able to do and use the the players that we had there and the studio facilities so when i did come to sending demos into sega back in the day 
they were all recorded with live orchestra or choir or whatever and i think that probably helped um my gaining that that role um you know I, i'm always one of those people that try to you know do do the best with what what's available and budget etc um as i'm sure all composers know but um yeah i think that was um that was a good element of of being involved in in the in the sort of life at, at university when you're studying music but also sort of not be not having to to take everything from that and do it in that specific way but like you know like you said learn to when to break the rules and when to apply them so did any of those demos actually end up in any games or are they just locked in the vault somewhere no i have them on cassette in my lounge uh, they are definitely locked away but uh no there was um it was really just i wanted to demonstrate um how I could do different styles, how that I got, you know, hopefully got a really good ear. That's one of my strengths. My sight reading is still a bit a bit rusty these days. But, um, you know, to, to be able to work at different styles, because a company like Sega, you know, make everything from, you know, driving games, fighting games, platform games. And I wanted to show a range of styles, um, which was kind of key for, for those years. Um, now I sort of focus mainly on orchestral and electronica and sometimes jazz but that that's and crossover between the two the three rather but that's mainly what i focus on these days but but in you know back in the day being flexible was was really really important and i still sort of um you know remind myself of that today so at this point in time um is there any genres that you haven't dabbled in that you'd like to work at um yeah i'd like to do i mean i'm a big fan of old uh analog hardware synths and i would love to do a score that's you know, purely synth based. Um, I think that would be really interesting to do that both in cool. terms of textures and and melodies. You know, would I even use melodies and something like that? Possibly, but but that might not be uh, needed. So something like that, I think, would be really really interesting. Just to sort of have a different approach to to using using hardware and using you know, built-in sequences and arpeggiators rather than sitting in front of Logic for another four years, I think that would be really, really interesting. And I think if I did something like that, I would approach it differently to how I have done on previous projects. I think I would actually do a lot of improvisation and record audio directly into Pro Tools and and do it that way rather than sitting in, in MIDI land, if you like. I, I think that would be quite... I think it'd be a challenge and I think that would really push, push myself. But um, I want to... Um, yeah, I definitely want to fire up the, the synth pretty soon. Because how do you stay inspired? Because I would think the longer you're a musician for, the more your canvas, so to speak, if you think about filling it up with different types of musical palettes, how do you continue to keep that original? Because you don't want to do stuff that you've already done before, right? Yeah. 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 Um, for me personally, I mean, I still listen to a lot of music and I still study um Symphonic scores, even to this day, I've got a, a huge collection of miniature scores that I always go back to, whether it's a, a symphony or a concerto or a piece of choral music. Um, I find that I can always find something new in those great works from from the masters over the years, whether it's a texture or, or an orchestration colour um, or a tonality. Um, so that the combination of those two things when i'm listening to to new music and you know i don't just actually i very rarely listen to to scores because i you know i'm doing that every day and there's only <laughs> so much you can do but just a new band or a new you know a new artist or a, 
um, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, I do listen to a lot of electronica and things like that outside of my my day job, if you like. Um, so I think that keeps any composer fresh or any any person in the creative arts fresh by just having, um, you know, absorbing new sounds or sights or, you know, those kind of things to to sort of refill that sponge that 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 we that we all have because we're we're kind of constantly outputting um every day when i'm writing i'm constantly outputting so i think we you know, we also have to input as well as a as a creative people i think it's really important to do that um so yeah i try and get inspired by many things with movies art um you know getting out to the country whatever it may be and i find that that does help um and also just sort of improvising as well you know before a major project starts i'd probably have a couple of weeks just kind of messing around with some ideas and tonality and rhythmic ideas and things like that and i find that that also helps um so a, a number of things but it, you're right it is important to to try and stay fresh and you know i'm, I'm still loving every every minute of of this crazy ride that i'm on and um yeah i'm still getting inspired by many many things and uh uh, I hope I hope that continues. Mm. So I kind of have a two-part question here. So in regards to your time at Sega, because back in the '90s, everything wasn't so specific like it is now. So usually you get assigned an audio director or a composer, but uh, back in the '90s, the composer might also be a sound designer, might do all the mixing and all of that as well. So uh, the first thing I wanted to ask is, did you do a lot of that stuff? And in terms of like your modern day production, do you sometimes try to blur the line between music and sound design? Um, to the first part of the question, yes, absolutely. I had to do a lot of um, additional work. So sound design, sound editor, dialogue recordist, script writer, <laughs> mixer, implementer. I mean, there was one game I did where I wrote 31 original music tracks in all completely different genres and i wrote the entire script in three languages and i recorded it all edited it all implemented it all recorded 30 car engines implemented that into the game and every single sound effect you hear in the game so every audio asset i did i made um with apart from a couple of singers and a few voice actors and that was a very very a uh, large amount of work. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But in terms of like the script part, you said you wrote in th what three different languages. How would um, you? Yeah, I had a, I had a. Uh, there was a Japanese speaker in the office that was helping me with that. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I should have said that. I, <laughs> I don't speak fluent Japanese or all these other languages. Um, but I had to make it work for specific locations because this particular game was set in. Mm. In yeah, it was the the game featured the accurate representations of London, San Francisco, and Tokyo. Um, and it was a, a racing game, so I was writing all these weather reports and traffic reports and trying to get the locations right and the the kind of cultural references correct. So, yeah, that was that was I think the one game that I. That I did literally every single audio asset on. Um, so the second part of the question um, these days, yeah, I mean, I just, I just, um, I just compose now. I, I, I hadn't ever studied sound design or anything like that. And as the things have evolved, there's some incredible, incredible, incredibly immersive sound design that, that happens in games, and I wouldn't ever, you know, like to <laughs> to do what those guys do because they they are absolutely um, incredible at it. And and my my focus has always been music uh, and composition. Um, 
sometimes I do my own music implementation. Um, so I would actually author the, the files and implement it into the game myself. And then sometimes game companies have their own people on the team that would implement the music. But it really depends on the um, on the size of the developer and the size of the project. But I quite like getting my hands dirty and actually implementing my own music because I have a, when I'm writing, I have a specific idea of how it can be replayed back in the game. It's not, not a question of simply making a stereo file and saying, please play that file. It's, it's a whole other level of um uh interactivity that i try and bring to a project and that's that's one of the really attractive things about games because it's you know it is challenging in that respect and i absolutely love that challenge and you know how are we going to make this particular scene sound absolutely seamless even though it's made up of 27 component parts for a let's say a one minute scene you know how mm. how are we going to make that work with all the player choices so that's something i do really enjoy because obviously there's a CD version, uh, like say of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? There's the, 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 the version that's on the album in terms of the, the musical piece. But did you write many iterations of most of that stuff because of the, the implementation? It might work differently. Like you might have to do five different versions of the same theme because it ends in a certain spot or has to end within a certain frame, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily different versions of the same thing, but it's how it plays out. So... The album, um, I actually spent a, about a month just editing that together because there are lots of very, very short cues, which you, hopefully you can't tell um, on I when you tell. listen to the album. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Um, but in, in the game itself, you might get a scene where there's a conversation between two characters and it's an interactive conversation. So let's say every 20, 30 seconds, the player has a choice to... Um, choose one dialogue option or the other and then of course that branches into sometimes about between 16 to 20 options and different branching points that then converge back at the end of the scene so i have to think as a composer okay well if they choose option a then that brings up another piece of dialogue but that that piece of the story is slightly different to option b so the mood might be slightly different so i would score those completely individually so that you know there could be tw 20 or 25 individual short pieces of music that once they're linked together will be seamless into let's say a one and a half or two minute conversation or a scene in the game um, but depending on which path the player takes and which choices they make throughout the music will be different for each branch of that particular storyline but it all has to work together as one and it has to be key and tempo related and implemented in a way that it sounds seamless so it's it's quite complex but it's it's good when it works wouldn't they get confusing would you have to have like something pierced on your wall like okay so yeah. how many versions of this theme am i doing <laughs> yeah the way the way i did this one and every game's different because every developer has their way of doing this but it in a way it was really beneficial to have worked on mass effect because mass effect has often about oh, six yeah, choices on the dialogue wheel um and that was um you know brilliant experience to um to get under my belt as a composer because when it came to guardians and the developer said oh we've got choice wheels and I was like, I know exactly what to do. So it was, it was absolutely fine. But, but, but for this particular game, um, yes, what I did is I had the script on a Word document and in, in the document it says, you know, you have section A and then if the player has, if, if choice, if the player makes choice one, then go to section B. If player makes choice two, go to section C. And then sections B and C will branch out into two of their own, 
um individual choices as well so the only way i the only way i could figure out to to have a look at it um to have it in front of me was making a big huge flow chart which was about they would average about a meter a meter and a half long and i'll just stick a whole bunch of paper together um on my on my table and then i would i would actually make flow charts for how this di- piece of dialogue was progressing and then how they converge back at the end and and what the end result is so um, most of the dialogue in the game in these type of scenes it, it has a it has a start point and an end point but in the middle it can go many many different ways and therefore those pieces have to be scored um individually that's well they don't necessarily have to be but that's what i chose to do because i wanted the the mood to be completely correct with what the dialogue was and, and how the story is unfolding so a mass effect was it similar to that just 10 times worse because of the um, mass effect we we use quite a lot more yeah we use quite a lot more loops in mass effect because the tone was quite similar it was just the dialogue was slightly different but in guardians the the tone does differ and it takes you in a slightly different point in the story um so to get the mood right it was really important that i did those scenes uh, and scored them each one individually um whereas mass effect even though there was a lot more um choices they were quite similar in tone so it, it was we used more loops and short stings and things like that so it's more a question of reauthoring this the same content or similar content in different lengths and things like that it wasn't as complicated as it sounds but but guardians i certainly wanted to to sort of push myself and make sure the game is properly scored depending on um you know what the player choice um is in a particular scene and i you know i'm glad i went to those lengths it, it might sound a bit bit crazy but uh i think the end result is is what it's about and i i've been playing the game just just this last week and i'm happy that i made those decisions because when i'm making a choice in the game i know that it's going to be scored perfectly to the dialogue there's so much complexity to composing that so many people don't know that all this yeah. stuff behind the scenes that you have to do it's not just a simple matter of like oh yeah i'll just compose a piece and that's that move on to the next thing so many things involved so many pieces mm-hmm. moving which I suppose yeah. you don't really have to worry about when you're doing television or film, right? It's just pretty straightforward. You just score a picture and then done, really. Yeah. I mean, working in linear media, yeah, you get, you know, you've got a lot of time pressure and you might get constant yeah, yeah. E- edits, but that is part of the process. Games is very different. It is a lot more complex. And uh, I like to put, you know, a huge amount of effort in to, to make sure when the player is playing this game that it's you know it's it all perfectly works and it's it's a it's a seamless experience even though it's completely interactive you know there's no excuse for having music that poorly segues or um you know you find it jarring when there's one piece of music and they start another piece of music you know that's just not acceptable and you know a lot depending on the 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 type of game i'm working on a lot a lot of time i work in layers as well and and that's just not that's not submixes of of instruments that's actually recomposed music sitting on top of each other to change um the flow and change the intensity it depends on how, how you want to do it but there is a lot of complexity but that's one thing i absolutely you know thoroughly enjoy about working in games hmm. well hey i'll wrap up there richard this has been amazing thank you so much for taking time out to do this this has been a pleasure i've learned so much 
but the complexity of composing for one. <laughs> um, so You're where's very the, welcome. Uh, so where's the best place where everyone can follow you and keep up to date with your work? Um, on social media, I'm on Twitter at Richard underscore Jakes. Um, and on Facebook, I'm on Richard Jakes Composer. And I think I'm on Instagram, it's Richard Jakes Composer as well. Um, or my website, richardjakes.com. Cool. All right. Well, you know where to check them out. Uh, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe. Bye.